I'm not a big proponent of, if this guy's not 100% involved in the department, we're just gonna kick him off. I, I, you know, I'm not a proponent of that. My philosophy is, is this guy can still be a, an absolute asset to the fire department. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the firefighting information you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. My guest today, Dan Rogers, has created a firestorm online with his article called And That's Okay, Not All Volunteers Want to Operate Like FDNY. Here's a quote from the article which appears on the FireRescue1.com website. We often try to push pride in our department onto the younger members, but many of them weren't raised with the same sense of community as we were, so they will likely never carry that pride, and that's okay. Readers, as they always do, came to different conclusions about what Dan was saying. One online commenter said, Those journey a volunteer fire department should be told what's expected of them. There's a minimum standard, what drills and trainings are expected, how many calls are expected from them. A fire service is a paramilitary organization, not the Girl Scouts. Do the job or quit. Another reader responded, Not sure the size of your agency, but for many rural departments, if you require all members to be all in all the time without spending time with hobbies and family, you'll likely have no membership. Another said, we are no longer or should no longer be the fraternity that is exclusive to certain members of the community who meet at the fire hall and have a card and beer party. Those days are long gone. Here to talk about his article and what he meant is okay is Dan Rogers. He joined the Witt, Illinois Volunteer Fire Department in 2005 and he's now Assistant Chief. Dan is a member of the emergency response team fire crew, rope rescue team, and medical team for a Phelps 66 refinery. And Dan Rogers joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. It's certainly a pleasure to be a part of the podcast here. Thank you. So you push some buttons with the title of your article. FDNY is the gold standard of firefighting. And you said it's okay if volunteers don't want to meet that standard. But what would you tell your customers if they felt shortchanged by that? Well, Scott, the meaning of the article is basically the the whole premise there was to reinforce the fact that we need to judge our volunteers on what they do when they do show up and not so much on how much they show up. There's guys with lives outside of the fire service, and we have to acknowledge that. And so as long as they're meeting the minimum training requirements, meeting attendance and, and call attendance and training attendance requirements. We as officers, especially chief officers, just can't take that to heart and, and get super upset about that. Otherwise we'll be salty and, and, and upset all the time with our with our membership. The the key is is to just 
really just judge them on on the performance and the asset they are to the community when they do show up. So that's a that's the premise of the article itself. I do acknowledge that uh, FDNY is absolutely the gold standard. In fact, I listen to a, a lot of podcasts with with retired FDNY members and, and really enjoy them. But we are not FDNY. Our my my department especially is not FDNY. So holding myself to the FDNY standards just within our department is just simply not feasible and not feasible for many departments around the U.S. It's volunteer. 69% of us, all fire departments around the U.S. are all volunteer. And, and most of us, while we like to like to think of ourselves as, as big-time firefighters and FDNY, we simply, simply cannot hold ourselves to that same standard. It's just we don't run the calls that they run. We don't see the fires, technical rescues, even EMS, RECs, all that stuff. We don't see that stuff of, that they see. So trying to hold ourselves to that standard is just, just unrealistic. So we need to keep in mind what we have, what we're working with, and who we have riding the trucks alongside of us and, uh, and, and take that into account when, when developing your uh, recruitment retention policies and your SOPs and SOGs. Now, we all know that volunteers are becoming harder to find, but why do people who may not want to be super serious firefighters volunteer in the first place? Well, normally there's three reasons why people volunteer, in my opinion, that I've seen around here using using some polls and some National Volunteer Fire Council studies. One is they're wanting to be a part of a team or part of a part of the community and, and one, a person they know is involved. That's a good reason. You know, uh, a buddy's in, involved or wants to join them, join up with them, said, hey, it's a good time. Number two, they're looking for something to fill a void in their life. Uh, they've got... They, they don't have something going on in their life, and they're looking for something to fill that void. That could be a good reason. And then uh, a lot of times, guys have a misunderstanding of the fire service, from what I've seen, and, and a lot of a lot of guys think it's more of a uh, social club than a community service or a public service. So they join up on behalf of the concept that they think it's a social club, and, and then once they get in here, that's that's when they realize the expectations are considerably different than you know your your other clubs out there that that are, are around for. The dinner meetings and the you know evening evening drinking affair, if you will. And that's not a great reason. Not at all. What do you do with members who join with that attitude? Well, so here's the thing: is is as chief officers, we have to make sure the expectations are clear up front. So, on my department specifically, when guys arrive, we would give them a copy of the SOPs and SOGs, which clearly clearly states the meeting, training, and attendance requirements throughout our department. And then they're required to sign off on that that they acknowledge that. So given that fact, that they acknowledge that information, then we move forward in the training aspect. If it becomes too much from them, we respectfully part ways. But for the, mo- for the most part, after we get through the expectation portion of it and they, they get an understanding and get, get on the truck for the first few calls and get that adrenaline rush, it's normally not too big of a de- big deal to keep them to retain them as, as volunteer firefighters, as long as you take the time and listen to their needs and, and provide them the training that you promised them and, and just just help them along the way. I mean, that's the thing is everybody, everybody needs a little bit of help. Everybody needs a little bit of guidance, especially on the volunteer department. So if the expectation is to give them a piece of paper, let them sign it and then, you know, send them on their way. And that's, that's it. They're, they're volunteer firemen. Then chief officer position may not be for you. We've got to help them along the path on the way here and give them the best chance of success within the department. Given the lack of response on a lot of -of run-of-the-mill calls, why do you say that's okay or to be expected? Don't we need volunteers to take every call seriously and show up to them unless they have a reason not to? Yeah, absolutely. What what would be ideal is to have 30, you know, my department's got 32 members on it right now. It'd be ideal to have 32 members at a 4 a.m. 
carbon monoxide call, but but having those expectations is is, is simply unrealistic. It's it's just not going to happen. Some guys do not live to fight fire on the volunteer fire service. Doesn't make them any less of a qualified firefighter if they don't if it's not a top priority for them. But I, I don't expect those members to show up at 4 a.m. And, and, and nor do I need nor do I need 32 members for a CO call at 4 a.m. So the way I look at it is is if if it becomes a problem, if attendance becomes a problem in those those areas, you know, we sit down with our membership and we have a conversation about attendance and and further need and that and that help. But if, if guys if guys honestly don't want to be there at that call and, and we've got enough to perform the duties of that call and the requirements of that call safely in NFPA 1720, then uh, yeah, yeah, then I'm, I'm completely fine with those guys staying home and, and making sure that they continue to show up when I really need them to show up on the bigger calls, the Rexy accidents, uh, the ground fires and, and things of that nature. So that's the way I look at it and it's worked well for us. We've been able to meet NFPA 1720 you know, on meter exceed it on, on all of our calls here on the volunteer side. Is there value to that philosophy that says we'd rather have three really devoted volunteers than six that are only sort of interested and only show up part of the time? Or is the six what we're going to get either way? I think the six is what you're going to get either way. So you, you have to take what you're going to get and you have to you have to make best out of it. And that's kind of where this article came in. You know, most articles are spurred between some kind of conversation that's had. And, and this one specifically was was forcing pride onto onto volunteer firemen that kind of that kind of spurred this article. But back to what you back to what you asked is, is I think you're going to get it either way. I, I'm not a big proponent of. If uh, if this guy's not 100% involved in the department, we're just gonna kick him off. I, I you know I'm not a proponent of that. My philosophy is is this guy can still be a an absolute asset to the fire department. You know even if he shows up to just calls as as long as I do my job and make sure that he's trained uh, for the safety of himself to be efficient on the calls to be an asset on the calls and and for the safety of the firefighters around him. Then then when he shows up on that structure fire and I look I look behind me in the truck. I'm happy to see he's there just because he doesn't show up to the 5 a.m. CO call before he goes and works a 12 hour shift at his job. I'm not super upset about that. And that's not going to bother me. So as long, like I said, as long as you are as chief officers, making sure those six partly members are trained to go along with the, go along with the rest of the group that, that, that live for this volunteer, live and live and breathe it. Then uh, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to have it. And once, once he lacks on training, that particular member lacks on training, uh, that's when it becomes an issue. So then how do you motivate those kind of folks to devote the necessary time to training, especially when they find out that they're not going to be going to a whole lot of fires? So those particular guys are not motivated by the call response, right? They're, otherwise, they'd be at every call. You know, they, they, they'd get up at the 5 o'clock in the morning or the 3 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning EMS call. They're, they're not, those guys are not motivated so much by call volume but they're there for other reasons, whether they've got other members on the department or they're looking to fill that void in their life with just a little bit something else. Or maybe it, maybe it was even, uh, you know, a generational thing where, hey, my grandpa was here, my dad was here, my brother's on the department. Maybe it's maybe it's one of those sort of things. But I'm not fully vested in this department. I'm not 100 percent wanting to show up all the time. So the the main thing to keep them keep them motivated is you set your basic requirements, your, your basic training standards to a point where they. They have to they have to show up and get that that training standard. Otherwise, they're no longer part of the department. So, 
again, I'm, I'm a big proponent of setting minimum standards uh, of which you want guys to be able to perform. If, if, if your minimum standards, if, if you, if I'm having a conversation with another chief and he says, nah, you know, if my guy only meets the minimum training standards, that's not good enough for me. Well, then your minimum truth, minimum training standards are too low. Even if your guys meet every, every minimum standard and you're still not going to be happy, then why leave your minimum standards at that particular spot? You need to elevate them to a level of which you want. So that's, that's what we do here. We, we have elevated minimum training standards and call, call responses and, and guys meet that. Then, then there's not a motivation factor in there. They're going to show up when they're available or when they want to show up. And as long as they've met those training standards and they're well-trained and, and an asset on the fire scene, then I don't have a problem with it. I'm happy to see them. And we've, uh, to date, we've not had any problems with that. There's been some discussion about a sense of pride and how that might help change some minds. What do you do to instill a sense of pride in these guys? One of my big things in there is, is that you cannot force feelings. I've been a believer of that of a long time. I'm not, you know, I'm not a super old chief officer or even have that much time as a chief officer at all. But I, I, I'm of the big, big notion that you cannot force force feelings on people, including pride. You know, a guy guy walks through here and signs up for the department, you know, and I, I tell him three weeks later, hey, you, you got to, you know, come in here and start washing some trucks. You got to take pride in this department. I can't force pride. I can't ask him, hey, what's your pride level of one to 10 on this? <laughs> and he's, you know, he, he tells me a one. I'm going to say, all right, you know, that's not enough. Hit the road. Go ahead and turn your, turn your gear, turn your pager back in. That's not enough pride for this department. You can't, you can't force pride, but what you can do is facilitate pride. And the reason, the, the only way you can do that, in my opinion, is, is to, to give them some sort of stake in the department. So you give this guy some responsibility within the department. Responsibility builds a commitment level. A commitment level translates over to pride, and then pride translates over to retention. So it's all tied together. You just got to make sure you're, you're, you're pointing them down the right path. So committees is the number one thing that we do at this department here to give guys some responsibility. So whether you, whether you give a uh, documentation compliance committee, so your ISO or your NFPA or your OSHA compliances, you know, we can have guys taking a look, just, just a committee group, taking a look at those specific governing bodies, if you will, and, and having them looking up over the, over, you know, over the month's time, they, they'll look up NFPA 1720, the minimum standard for volunteer firefighters response, right? And they look those up and they can, they can see if we're meeting it or exceeding it or having issues with it. And then what we do is task them not only to, to tell us what kind of issues we're having here at the department with that particular NFPA standard, but, you know, give us a resolution. How can we improve? How can we meet that? Give us a solution on what it'll take. Same thing with small engines and, and equipment. You know, let these guys come in here. They're in charge of small engines and equipment. They verify that it gets started every month. If there's any issues with it, they completely handle the issues, whether it's, it's taking it to a local repair shop, ordering parts, fixing it themselves. Same thing with small equipment. And then when it comes time to making the purchase, put your trust in these guys to spec out the equipment. And then once you do that and, and they, they develop some commitment to this department because, you know, what's going to happen is they're going to say, Hey, yeah, we spec out this new new vent fan. I know everything about it. I know where it goes. I know what I know what it is. And then Joe Blow comes over and was like, I probably wouldn't have bought that vent fan. He's going to take a little bit of offense to that because it's like, man, I, I I put in some time on that fan. You know, I did my research. I looked at it. You know, I maintained that fan. You know, that now now all of a sudden he's building some stake in the company, getting some getting some uh, you know some responsibility within the department. Now all of a sudden that's translating right over to surprise. So. I don't think I personally can instill pride in anybody to answer your question, but I can sure facilitate 
some responsibility, which equals to pride on down the way after some commitment comes into play. As I said at the beginning, you really pushed some buttons with this article, especially with the title. I'm curious what the response has been like. What have you seen? Yeah, so it's been uh, it really been uh, both sides of the aisle. Some departments have really, really responded well and really like this, and some some guys haven't. You know, they 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 think you know what there's only there's only one way you set up your requirements, uh, and if if people aren't all in, then then they need to be kicked off the department. They're they're either all in or they're all out. This isn't the place to to be partially in, and and there's a there's parts of that that I agree with and parts of it that I don't agree with because we're, we're talking about kind of a fine line here. So the guys that do agree with me, obviously I don't really need to touch on them because they, they have a, an agreement with me, but the, the, the guys that don't agree with me, I would, I would simply state, you can find 32 guys that are all in all the time, hundred percent answers every call, leaves work, no questions asked, 2 a.m. in the morning, EMS call, that, that would be great. And I'd, I'd really like to see your, your, your call numbers where you can prove to me that, that the uh, 3 a.m. sick case in the middle of the morning, you're getting 32 firefighters showing up or, or your entire roster. It's just, I know what you're saying and I understand, but it, it's not feasible. And I, I have a hard time believing that, that these departments where these guys are really pushing for this has, has these type of results that, that they're really, really pushing for. So, I'm happy for the response of everybody, and I appreciate everybody's response coming back. It was really fun to see what they were saying. You know, I, I certainly don't take offense to it because I, I have my own own opinions, and they're they're very strong opinions, right? You talk to any any chief in the department in the fire service, right? You go the go to them, and you talk to them about the way they do things, and and they're going to tell you that the way they do things is the right way, and it's the only way it should be done. Until you go talk to the next chief, and then their way is the right way. And that's the only way it should be done. And if you come in and try to change things within their department, you're going to get a whole lot of pushback on that because the pride level is so high in those chief officers. And, and, and I'm no different, and these guys are no different. So definitely no hard feelings with anybody who's countered me on any of the any of things that they've said, and I've appreciated their feedback. But, you know, I, I, I'm speaking from my experience of my department and neighboring fire departments and seeing what they're doing and trying to push some good recruitment retention methods out here locally and hopefully soon here even even nationally getting some some new some new updated recruitment and, and retention methods out there so to answer your question I'm pretty happy pretty happy with the results and how that how it's coming back in the feedback and, and and look forward to publishing a couple more articles here and there and and getting these conversations to the forefront and having these conversations and maybe maybe our maybe our volunteer numbers that's that's been declining for the last decade by by roughly 12% can can make that turn and, and go the other way. And we'll leave it there. Dan Rogers, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Hey, no problem, Scott. I appreciate it. Anytime. And we put a link to Dan's article, in case you haven't seen it yet, on our website at code3podcast.com slash attitude. You can check it out, or you can leave your reaction there in the comments. Either way, you'll want to go there and take a look. And while I've got your attention, if you'd help me out, you can point somebody else who's interested in this topic to this podcast. This episode will definitely lead to a discussion, possibly an argument, and you might enjoy it. And word of mouth is the best way to grow a podcast audience, so it's important to me too. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, 
Stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.